Welcome back. Y'all know what it is. It's Authentically Us, the podcast where we talk about what it means to be authentic in everything that you do. Hey, I'm your man, Conroy. We got Tony with us here. And we have another special guest today. Uh, but again, before we do so, y'all, you know what? Share this. Just share this one. If you haven't shared anyone, you can share this one. <laughs> like, stop, stop what you're doing and just share it. Share it with with your the friend that you think needs to hear this because we're going to talk about therapy today and just like just drop it in their in their in their message box <laughs> <laughs> hey we got um maddie stonier with us today and it's going to be so good you're definitely going to want to rewind this one back um, multiple times yeah stay to the end yes lean in stay to the end because we got some things uh surprises at the end let's get it Welcome back to Authentically Us. Hey guys, we got a special guest today. We got Maddie Stonier with us today. She is a licensed therapist. She loves Jesus and she is very intelligent. And she's a Peloton rider, guys, just so you guys know. Um, Come on, Pelotoners. (laughs) (laughs) Just got to throw it out there. Yeah, I just wanted to throw that in there, you know. But Maddie, thanks for hopping on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so glad to be here. I love it because you were my coach, Conroy. I was. I, I was. still call you coach. I have to. <laughs> we had no, some good times. <laughs> you know what's really interesting? Before we before we jump in, um, I remember vividly there was a time when like it was Maddie and a couple other members at, the, at Orange Theory. They just got off the tread. I think Maddie, your knee was bothering you or something and they just like during the stretch we're just praying over there and then they kept to me like what you're not gonna pray for her i'm like oh i, I guess i could have yes, <laughs> but i was my knees i was working <laughs> but maddie thanks again hey tell the people a little bit more about you yeah um well i grew up christian so definitely in that that christian world and grew up i know you guys have talked on your um, podcast a little bit about that experience as well, just in the church world. And um, but I became a therapist, and in my twenties, I went to school. Thought I was going to be a missionary, uh, and then took a sharp left turn into the world of mental health, and I have loved it ever since. Uh, wow. It just totally opened up my mind to a whole new world. I had no idea about being emotionally healthy and mm. even spiritually, spiritually healthy, um, and through school and training and tons and tons of hours. Um, I learned a lot about that. So, wow. I um, like merging those two worlds of mental health and the church. So very passionate oh, about it. So good. It's so good. Um, so I'm also in grad school for counseling currently. Yeah, you so- are. <laughs> so what what modalities would you say you specialize in so i did uh a lot in trauma therapy so uh i was i'm trained in emdr um i'm i started learning about ifs model which is really fascinating um and i like more experiential work so where to get out of the left brain to get out of all the just talk therapy and more into experiential in the midbrain 
anything that engages uh, that area of the brain, I've seen so much breakthrough in clients. Mm. Uh, so that's kind of where I, I hang out most. So what is IFS? It's internal family systems. It's called parts work. So we, it, we look at ourselves as a bunch of different parts where we mm. have like an anxious part or a, a sad part. And we're not that whole part. It's just one small part of us and all of the parts are working for us and for a good reason. So I love that, that way of thinking through our, ourselves. That's so good. I'm so excited for this. So I know I'm, yeah, this is like, this is, this is where we kind of like most of our podcasts essentially go in this direction somehow, some way. So it's great because you get to blend both worlds together. So we're, yes. We're a little giddy right now. Oh, Good. for sure. Um, I love it. So what's what's been your experience living in San Diego? Yeah, in in regards to um, the culture here. Just in general. In general. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I love San Diego. My family's all here. Um, and my dad told us growing up, it's the best city in the world and to never leave. And it actually worked. There's four of us in my family and he got all four kids to stay within 20 minutes of each other in San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I love it here. I love to travel though. So, uh, it's a good home base, but I love seeing different cultures and, mm. and parts of the world. So, but it's always home. I like San Diego a lot for that reason is that one, and it's beautiful here. Um, but I guess, um, one thing I struggled with with moving here from the East Coast was the uh, and it could have be how it could have been how I was raised. It's like the Christian culture here is way different than the Christian culture back in the East Coast, even in Pennsylvania. I would say mainly in Pennsylvania, it's very much almost like Bible Belt E, where everybody like goes to church. It's like church culture on Sunday, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever. Um, but here it was hard for me to find um believers that i connected with because it was very much so that like hey I'm, I'm a believer like as they're like smoking weed and getting drunk like next to me and i was like what is is happening yeah. um so what i guess what has your experience been like with church culture in san diego yeah and not only church culture but society like southern california has its, yeah. such a strong culture uh, that I experienced and really it was just normal to kind of be surfacey uh, and not really have deep connections. It's a very transient city. So it bleeds into the cult- church culture as well, um, where it it's, people aren't really off- that authentic, it seems in, in Southern California, generally speaking, that's a big, you know, generalization, but, um, and it, it, sadly does bleed into the church. It, there's not a lot of depth or roots, it seems. Uh, it's very flaky culture and uh, non-committal. So um, in in church community, it is, I also found it hard to develop friends. And mm. there's people I could do ministry with or see that I know, but they weren't friends. I, I, I didn't yeah. feel connected yeah. in that way. Yeah, it's 
in that's not a San Diego thing because like here in PA, I'm just like we have all these people in our church, but no one's trying to commit to anything, help out in any way, and everyone's too busy to have those meaningful connections like you were talking about. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah, I, I th think uh yeah, that was my main struggle when I when I came to San Diego. Obviously now I have a I have a better community here and it's it's been a lot smoother, I would say, but it did take a while to kind of find find my people. Um I I did kind of want to touch on a little bit about like like your story. So I was trying to think about your dad's role. He had in like in like one of the mega churches here. Is he technically he's a pastor, but he, is he a firefighter too? He's a chaplain to okay. fire department, border uh, patrol, police department, lots of different uh city services. So what was it like? having a you know parent in ministry but like not like in higher level ministry like you know you hear a lot about people with, with church herd or you know pks as you can say pastors kids um what was it like from your experience yeah it definitely had a negative impact <laughs> in so a lot of ways of just uh not really being known for me, uh, mm. that I was known for, uh, someone's daughter or, oh. uh, you know, ministry kid or, you know, and so it really impacted me. I didn't realize it till I was in therapy as an adult that it taught me to put up all these layers of who I am and how I show up in social mm. settings. Um, because I didn't really feel known and seen for me. And mm. um, so it it definitely wasn't a place where um, I felt I could just be me and accepted. There was a lot of pressures, uh, unspoken. And my parents were great at being the same person at home as they were outwardly. So thank God. Uh, for that, like they were the same, they were better at home than they were in ministry, actually. And same to this day, uh, they're some of my best friends. And um, so luckily, which isn't normal for most people, uh, they showed me Jesus inside the home. Wow. And wow. Uh, yeah, so it wasn't like two faced in for them. Um, but a lot of people I know that that is the case in, mm. with parents as pastors or in ministry. Uh, but because of that, my relationship with Jesus uh, was always pretty strong or connected. Uh, I always had a pretty close connection with God, uh, but it's the people that I kind of learned to not trust people. So to this day, um, I haven't worked through everything, <laughs> but wow. I, have a, I have a hard time trusting people, especially people in the church. Um, I'm just like, wow. like, okay, you yeah. know, we'll see. I, I don't take people's words. So that that still has an impact. I need to go back to therapy for some more work on that. <laughs> oh, man. So the church and mental health services hasn't always played well together. So growing up, 
what was your awareness of mental health like? I had no idea uh, what mental health or even when I say mental health, it's more like language. Like I didn't know what shame was or shaming was. And that's a normal part of human emotions is shame. And so like, it's so healthy to like give kids or, you know, language. Um, And that's a big part of what we do in therapy is give people language for what they experience and feel. And it's so liberating. And so I think that's when I think of not having awareness, it's more of like language. I didn't know what was what I didn't know what unsafe people emotionally were. I didn't know um, really what was happening in mental health terminology. So and that's the case for a lot of us, even outside the church, we weren't educated, you know, in that way, mental health is much more acceptable and common now. Um, so I think not having language for things was really that, you know, mm-hmm. not to be able to know what was going on inside or socially or relationally, you know, struggling through relationships and high school or growing up, it's like, oh, it would have been nice to have some language around what actually was happening in this relationship. Because yeah. I think back, I'm like, that was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I'm curious, what what has your experience been now with the church as your therapist? Like, yeah. Like I said, I still have some triggers <laughs> yeah. on work through, but I love to to see a lot of the church is so hungry for learning and implementing things that will help uh, their congregations and they see the need. So more than anything, I see churches reaching out a lot uh, for training, education, and mm. tools. Uh, so I love that. That's amazing to see the openness and the humility to, to you know, change uh, some patterns and ways. Yeah. I think that's so good. Yeah. I think it's good because, you know, Tony and I are big proponents of Jesus plus therapy, right? Cause it's like, especially in like black communities, it's like, you know, you can just pray it away or, you know, like Jesus is your counselor or the Holy spirit is your counselor, which is all accurate, you know? Right. But sometimes, you know, having those conversations with a third party or, you know, being able to, I think you said it so eloquently, like having language to describe what you feel, because I feel like in in society, we like to uh, avoid things or like just not not put negative terms on things, but sometimes just having language to be like, oh, that was shame or that was guilt or maybe I, I am hurting. It's like, okay, now we've established something. Let's, let's work from there. Um, so I love how you said that. And I love that, you know, I've, I've seen you in the church and like how you kind of use your gifts to bless the, the congregation or the people you're speaking to. Um, how have you married the two? And did you go to like a Christian therapy school or like, how does that work? That's good. So, right. So I just actually went to a state school and got my master's there. Um, so I didn't have training on integration, but I just, 
thought like, well, I have the spirit of God in me and who I, a lot of, a big part of therapy is the therapist brings themselves into the room. They can't just be a robot therapist. Mm -hmm. And so coming into the room as a Christian with a lot of ministry experience, it's like, I don't think I need more training uh, in that realm. I just need the psychology and the research uh, to to be educated. I, I had enough of the church training. Um, I went to every discipleship school you can think of. You know, I, I did it all. So, uh, but when you say marrying the two, it's really a tough t- tension um, internally for me since I started of you know, what God wants to heal supernaturally or through prayer or through, uh, you know, him, his Holy spirit, because that I believe in the healing power of Jesus. Um, and what, when he doesn't, and, you know, we don't know why, but also the, the role of therapy in our life. And so, um, I, I kind of describe it to clients as, always go for the supernatural healing, you know, for the Lord to break trauma or to heal trauma or depression, of course, like, let's pray for that. Um, And if he doesn't, then it's an invitation to walk the journey with him. And I think in the journey Mm -hmm. of healing, there's so much depth and encounter of the character of Jesus that is available to us that doesn't come in a one-time healing. Uh, it's a different expression of God, which is beautiful. Uh, but there's so much depth when I would walk my clients through, you know, session after session of of Jesus in specific areas of pain. Uh, it's so much, so transformative for them and really deepens their relationship with Jesus in a profound way. So, of course, our culture and we want that instant healing. Uh, I don't know why he doesn't do that um, because he can break, bring yeah. healing. But I think there is such a beauty and a depth when we walk it out. So much character is built, uh, mm. which is so valuable mm. um, in that process. So it makes sense why sometimes we have to do the hard work and, and really work through it. Yeah, that's, that's really good. So, do you uh, outwardly advertise yourself as a Christian counselor? Yeah. So my private practice, uh, I actually was mainly seeing Christian clients. Uh, most churches would have me on a referral list um, because that is really my passion. Um, so, but I actually recently closed my private practice to switch into uh, to do more ministry for the church and bringing more mental health in the church. So, uh, having a private practice is definitely a full-time, uh, gig. And so I, uh, newly jumped out of that into, uh, more ministry roles. Wow. Yeah. So good. Now I did want to, I did want to ask, um, you said you primarily saw Christian clients. Now, did you see, non-Christian clients? Yes. And then how, okay. My, my question is, how do I, how do I describe this? It's like, because it's like when I know sometimes when I have conversations with some of my friends and that who aren't Christian and they're telling me things, it's like Jesus just comes out, but like, how do you, do you just let it come out or do you have to like, 
tip to, I don't how does that work? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Great so, question. Yeah. So in my setting, because I am like uh they're hiring me to help them, I have to be aware of making sure that I'm meeting the needs that they've expressed. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think uh even with non-Christian clients, there's such a sweet connection with them because they can feel how much I actually love them. Mm-hmm. And I genuinely loved and loved every single client I had and um, could feel love for them and towards them because of Jesus in me, the spirit of God. It's only possible. Like, why would I love a stranger? You know, um, mm. but it's, I could feel love towards them. And I think that is so powerful is when people feel loved, it's, it's just so uh, priceless, you know? So good. Yeah, that's really good. Um, What do you enjoy most about your work in therapy? Well, I, I loved to see how Jesus would interact with each client differently uh, and how, uh, through, through asking questions. And a lot of times I would have them encounter the Lord in the session. Um, I was always surprised at what Jesus would say to them and how Jesus would heal them or bring a solution to these questions that I could never answer. And so because I'm not there just to tell them what to do and give them all the answers, I just ask good questions. And uh, the the solutions and the healing that would happen in the session would blow my mind. I'm like, that's such a good answer. Like, that's so good. So one of my favorite things of, of seeing right before my eyes, people getting healed. Um, and I just got to have a front row. Wow. Front row seat. It's like a, it's like a God wink at you. Like every, mm. every session, like you're having with people, that's that's cool because it's like you do exactly. get a front row seat and it's just like it's almost you get a front row seat to watch s- somebody else do the work. Exactly. Exactly. And get impacted by it. Like I would get I would learn so much. I learned so much from my clients from the process. Uh, it's really powerful. Well, and like that's how we know we're doing good therapy, right? It's like when our clients are given the tools to heal their trauma, not when we do the healing for them. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And those are obviously the sessions where I felt really great about the work. There was also times where I'm like, I'm a terrible therapist. What am I doing? (laughs) Mm. And frustrated, or I felt like I didn't ask good questions, you know? Um, But but those, the majority was was seen seen that breakthrough, and yeah, when clients are their own, he, get to their own healing uh, from their own, which which is powerful. Well, now I'm curious. So you've talked a lot about like what a successful session looks like, and I'm sure maybe it's looked different from when you first started to now. But like, what have you experienced? Like ones where you just are like, ah, did I pick the right field? yes and it's usually when i am hitting on something in me that hasn't been healed Mm, right yeah so when there's like when there's any kind of transference or counter transference that comes into the room because i'm not a robot 
you know, we have our own insecurities or uh, things that would come up in the session, depending on the client or the issue that we're working on. And when it wasn't going well, if I reflect, it's probably probably because I was not at my core healthy self. There were different mm-hmm. parts of me, maybe a anxious part or a shame part that would come up in the session just because of the various uh, things that would get talked about. Um, and so then I wasn't in that peaceful, confident place myself. Uh, so it's never the client. <laughs> it's usually yeah. I yeah. I could respond differently or it's triggering something in me that uh, I need to change or be aware of. Yeah, it's it's so crazy how, you know, I I'm only in uh grad school, but like in my internships, I you know, during my sessions, I'm just like I'm helping you work through this, but in reality, I'm helping myself work through the exact same thing. Exactly. So many times and and I actually said that to my uh clients when appropriate. I would say, you know, what what you're working through, I'm actually having to implement this too. And it's really hard, you know? And so it, I had a really great therapist once and she would be authentic with me and she would um, take herself off of that like higher power chair, you know, as a therapist and make her more, more relatable to me. And she was open to an extent. Mm-hmm. And that really helped me a lot. So then I'm, I modeled that as well to my clients. And so um, it, it, with wisdom and with lots of boundaries, you can share little yeah. things like that to, yep. to really make yourself just a human too. So good. People yeah. think therapists sometimes or their own therapists are like these superheroes. And it's like, no, <laughs> we're not. <laughs> right, right. So uh, therapy is hard work. Um Talk to us about what self-care looks like for you. Yeah. And self-care is different for everyone. You know, whatever feeds uh, individuals is going to be different. But I definitely uh, am very social. So I have to have some good time with friends and go out with them. And that really fills me up. Um, I have to say exercising because Conroy's listening. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> definitely exercise definitely working out yes definitely and then um i have to hear from god that's one way that fills me up it's not necessarily about like reading or praying or you know devotional but i have to hear something from god in my spirit mm-hmm. and that just like is like hours to it could be like five minutes of hearing from him and it feels like totally refreshed hours Mm. so Mm. yeah how do you turn off like therapist maddie like when you're hanging out with your friends when you guys are hanging out you're out somewhere like how do you turn it off or it's like never really goes off well my family would say it doesn't go off (laughs) but no it it does it it turns off where i'm not trying to think like analyze what people say um or you know, think too deep into to it, but there is a part where I can't unhear. Like my ears yes. have been trained to hear things. Yep. 
And so when I hear it, it automatically is is connected to, you know, A, B, and C. And uh, so there is a part that it's like, uh, it's just how I think, you know, and yeah. it's like, you know, a marketing guru, they think uh, marketing all the time with like phrases and branding and they, they, it's just how they think. So after 10 years, it's kind of deep in there. <laughs> well, the reason yeah. why, I, the reason why I asked is because like, I got, obviously I'm a trainer, I work at Orange Theory, but I also go to the normal gym. And when I go to the normal gym, I see people do wild things. Like I took like, especially during lockdown when, when the gyms were kind of open, people were just making things up at that point. <laughs> right. So I always, I love, I love to turn off. So like one thing I try to do like really hard is like when I leave lunch theory, I turn it off. People are like, Hey, do you know the workout tomorrow? Nope. Sure. Don't. <laughs> or like when I see people at the gym, I just I just let them struggle because like I'm not getting paid for this. So that's why I was wondering like how, how do you turn off? Like I I guess I may think of like with your friends or maybe like if you're if you're dating or something. It's like how do you if if your friend says something and they're just trying to come to you like they want Maddie as a friend and they say they say something that like triggers you and your brain goes this way. Like how do you be like? Like, how do you come like and not yeah. just go straight therapist? Yeah. Well, like you said, like you would see crazy things at the gym and you can't not see it. It's yeah, just, right. you know, it's just right there. So, so I do hear, see things in conversations with friends or whatnot. Um, and I don't know, it's probably 50, 50. I'll say something to not, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, I wish I didn't more, but I just, it's just conversational and it's, it's just reflective. I'm just like, oh, that's interesting. Like, I'll just yeah. say, I'll say what I hear or notice sometimes. Um, but, but other times I, like you said, I'm just, I'm not paid for it or I'm too tired. It's too tiring. Like it's work. Locked out. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's work to, to go there and ask questions and like really, really help someone but um it's it can be tiring so i know for me as i've progressed in grad school i've i've realized a lot of the micro skills of counseling has helped me to become a better communicator overall how has therapy helped you in your communication skills I love this question. So I had a great mentor. Uh, I was at a group practice when I first started therapy. And uh, he obviously was in it for decades before me, but I would say he mentored me in how to communicate better. And he taught me to say what I'm thinking and to say what I'm feeling. So a lot of us just, it's in our head. We think positive thoughts about each other, or, how, you know, but we don't say it. Mm. Um, and so he always, he would walk by my office all the time and just like pause and just say, hey, I just had a thought. I'm just so happy you're here today. And and it would always make my day and make me feel so loved or seen. And so mm. I, just after being around him for so much and being mentored by him, uh, I started doing that. So it's more common now uh, for me to just say what I think or what's on my mind without filtering. 
you know, or without holding back. And I, I think that's really important for communication uh, mm. because sometimes bad, when we have bad communication, we have these conversations in our head that aren't real. And we think we, we had more conversation about it than we mm. did. Uh, so getting into the habit of that has been mm. really, really powerful for communication. That's good. That's good. My question is, I love I love to do this for Tony. Um, since he is in grad school for this, what advice would you give Tony as he's going through uh, his process? The healthier the therapist is, the better work we do. And so mm. I I always say to keep doing your own personal work as as an individual. Uh, because you will work through blind spots and triggers that come up with clients and in the future. And uh, the best, the best therapist is one who is doing their own work. Mm. So that's the best advice I could give. That's great. Thank you so much. And thank you, Conroy, for doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, man. I gotta, I, I, I just think it's good just to hear, you know, people that's been in, in it a little bit longer. Oh, um, absolutely. Second second tip, real quick. Get really good mentors because they really shape you. And and you learn by, like I said, you learn by just being around them and how they think and, and, and talk. So that was yeah, a big one. Yeah, that's something they really harp on in uh, our program is to get supervision that's good, not just cheap or free. Exactly. That's good. That's that's a whole word, Tony. Um, I did want to ask, what does freedom look like? Um, yeah, I'll leave it at that. What does freedom look like? Yeah, when I think of freedom, uh, I really think it's it's like being free from from shame or uh, you know heaviness that we put on ourselves, or fears or anxieties of life. I, when I think of freedom, I think of, um, like being lighthearted in a way, not mm. like a Pollyanna, mm. like ignorant to the things of the world, but, uh, like a choice of, of fully, um, accepting yourself, accepting others. And they're the people who are most free that I know, I'm like, they don't care what anyone thinks about them. <laughs> I'm like, that's amazing. Like they right. really don't care. And they look and, and seem the most free to me. And so I think that's, that's powerful of really accepting ourselves. Mm -hmm. So to go along with that, um, what advice would you give to someone myself a people pleaser in recovery oh man i can i feel yeah i know i'm a perfectionist in recovery so it's along the same lines yeah. uh, <laughs> um i i would let's see for people pleaser specifically um i think for that the biggest thing we need to work on is our personal boundaries uh, because we tend to to ignore that and just do what everyone else needs or or says. Um, so 
So establishing our own needs and just identifying it, like what, what are some basic, some basic things, non-negotiables of like, what are some boundaries in my life that I need? Because I know it's going to be easy to um, give that space to other people. Um, But sometimes having some key phrases with, with people uh, that we pull out of our pocket. And what I mean by that is when people ask us to do this or that, um, not giving an answer right away is helpful. And so having a phrase like, Hey, can I get back to you? That that's an easy way to buffer our people pleasing um, mm. or, and to buy yourself some time or some space um, and, and just not always giving an answer right away or, or not always uh, doing what, what is asked of us, you know, because that people pleasers tend to, to, cross their boundaries a lot with others mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's good thank you mm-hmm. um as a leader in in the church um how what are some tools i guess i this is, and, and this is a two-part question what are some tools as a leader you know as people come to me with with things that i truly feel unqualified for um when they come to me with like things that are going on in their lives or situations that happen. And I just pray a lot. Um, mm-hmm. How would you, I guess, I guess this is probably your role now, but like, how, how would you encourage leaders in the church to lead their flock? Well, especially when it comes to like real things that are happening in, in their lives. Cause we're not, I'm not a qualified therapist. I haven't, I haven't gone to school for this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important that as leaders in the church, we know uh, people know their scope of competency and what, what realm, what, what lane they need to stay in. Mm. Um, because that's one of my pet peeves is people in the church where they, because they're a leader or pastor, they think they could be like a, uh, premarital or couples therapist. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's actually really, you know, intense training and it's really complex. And Come on. Uh, a lot of times that people teach or lead others out of their own uh, relationship and their own advice, which we all have functioning dysfunction. So what's functional for them. Wow. Yeah. You know, <laughs> right. So in that does functional marriage it's functioning for them because it works and it's okay but when people teach their own dysfunction to other couples or individuals it won't necessarily function for them in that way and so i think it's so important leaders are aware uh like you're saying like knowing your limits and knowing what's just ethically and and what's wise to to engage in and what's not um, is so important. And then a lot of times I think leaders or pastors don't know their limitations or competencies. And I think they yeah. just kind of can easily cross lanes, um, a- accidentally. Bars. <laughs> but what about like, I'm thinking about like, I think about here in San Diego, right? There's this, I feel like there's a lot of resources, like, you know, people like you who, you know, you can be contracted out to help a church, but like, what if, like you're in 
Tony and I are from a really small town in Pennsylvania, right? And, you know, you're in a church that maybe you don't have direct access to a Christian therapist, uh, counselor that can assist the church. Like, what would you say to those leaders? Like, when you're getting these these situations that people are coming to you almost like as a savior, like what would you encourage those leaders? Right. Yeah. Who, who don't have uh, a lot of resources and help in their area. Yeah. Um, I, I just think there's so much information online these days that, mm. that's the resources are equipping themselves if that's the case or, um, because it's virtual, there's so many virtual options for people. Yeah. Um, I know even in San Diego, when I have my practice after COVID, still like 50% of people stayed virtual and they were 10 minutes away from my office or 15 minutes away. Wow. So um, so virtual is, is definitely a primary um, place to, to get help these days. Um, so... I would say tap into, you know, what's available virtually so many, uh, so much on mental health and, and books and, and training. So I think we have to educate ourselves and mm-hmm, take what's yeah. out there, you know? That's so good. That's good. We had, we had Tony's professor on, um, early in our, in our podcast. And one of the questions I asked him and I want to, um, relate to you as well it was like as a family member or a friend or a significant other um watching a another family member or friend go through maybe a mental health mental health crisis or go through trauma what would, how would you encourage like the families or the friends like the person not going through it like how would you encourage them in those situations, because I just, I feel like a lot of times people are unqualified, but then they just almost sometimes make it worse by trying to help. Like, what would you what's your like process in that? I, family is so hard because it, there's so much emotional connection and attachment to our family members. Right. Yeah. And so the way I am with my client is way better healthy Maddie than I am with a family member because it's personal, you know? So like you said, it's so hard to see anyone in our family struggle. Um, and, and I think one, uh, one thing I've had to practice is just keeping my opinions to myself, you know, and not, not imposing. Um, but when I can tap into, um, my empathy, and and active listening, which is just a basic human skill, good for any relationship. I have to intentionally do that with family because it doesn't come as easy. So I have to like kind of force myself into that place of compassion and uh, just validation um, in their pain. Because um, there's a quote, I'm not going to get it right now, but people... Um, once people are fully accepted as they are, then it gives them permission to actually change. And mm. that's the paradox of change mm-hmm. is once we're fully accepted as in that place. And it's uh, way harder to do that's with, good. with family. Um, but that's, and, that's the and hard to watch. Oh yeah, absolutely. So yeah. Good. 
So, um, if people are, um, wanting to find a therapist, what's your recommendation for them to find a good therapist? Well, actually, a lot of churches have, uh, at least bigger churches, have a list that they've vet vet the therapist on the list that they provide. Uh, I've been interviewed by a handful of churches just so that they they know that we're a good match for their people. Um, so often churches uh, have lists that have some good people on there that I would recommend. That's good. Great. So. Uh, to go along with that, what would you, what advice would you give a non-believer for wanting to find good therapy? Yeah, and and really, so, just because someone's a Christian therapist doesn't mean they're good, <laughs> you know. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, so <laughs> so um, uh, just for both both parties, Christian or not, one of my best referral sources is word of mouth. And so if you have friends uh, or family members that like their therapist, that's the best route to go um, because there's some similarities, right? With people in your life. Um, so word of mouth referrals is always, always the best, but I personally like more experiential therapy. Uh, I, I think a lot of us, um, you know, we can do talk therapy, but we can do that with friends. Um, it, not really like talk therapy is deeper than that, but it stays a lot in the intellect. And I personally see a lot of transformation with experiential type work. So I would recommend that for sure. Can you describe the difference for our listeners and me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I think of like, CBT is like talk therapy where it's a lot more cognitive therapy, uh, where your narrative therapy, all of that is more engaging in the prefrontal cortex um, and language reasoning uh, where you can articulate things and um, experiential therapy engages the midbrain, which is where uh, memories are stored, emotions are stored, sensations our motivation is stored there. Uh, all our happy chemicals get released from there. So um, when we engage in the midbrain experiential, which is like uh, more um, EMDR or, um, you know, there's there's even like somatic experience where you use your body or, or drama, you know, dra- use dramas to reenact stuff. It, it unlocks things in our body and in emotions and in memory that talk therapy doesn't seem to. Mm. So it just mm. tends to go uh, pretty deep, pretty quick. Well, and, and it makes sense because you, you specialize in trauma and mm. uh, you know, the body keeps the score when it comes to trauma. And so you have to engage the body more. So when, when you're dealing with trauma than maybe other situations. Yeah. And that's my preference in my training, but I know there's a lot of therapists who are more focused on talk therapy and narrative therapy, all of that. And they see great results as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously research backs that too. Um, so I'm just biased with, with my background and training. 
Um, so last question before we trans transition. What does it mean to be authentically Maddie? Authentically Maddie. For me or in general? Oh no, authentically you, my bad. <laughs> I could do both. <laughs> um yeah authentically being authentically you would would to me uh be when we're fully seen and known as we are um showing up as as ourselves rather than all these roles that we can put on i know for me i'll relate it to myself um that i would show up as like a leader or a ministry person and have this hat on you know as a leader that I would give or pour out, but I was, it was never like, I never put myself on the same page where I needed to receive as well. Mm -hmm. And so I think um, we have to be aware of these roles that we put on or identities we put on, especially walking into social settings. Um, but when we're, when I'm authentic and we're, we're authentic, it's like, I'm just seen and known for me, not anything I do, but just me. And that's really vulnerable to like walk into a space without any covers <laughs> you know it's like okay it's just me here yeah. um that's how i define it so good maddie this has been amazing um i'm so excited because i have to listen to this one over and over because you dropped so many <laughs> so many gems especially from the beginning when you just you know shout out peloton anyways um <laughs> we're going to transition into our next segment which is called rapid fire so with this that was a good one tony it's good um with this one we're going to ask you three questions first thing that comes to mind don't pass go don't collect two hundred dollars just the first thing that comes to mind okay you ready yeah let's get it when was the last time you didn't feel enough oh gosh every day <laughs> <laughs> there's there's parts every day where I don't feel enough, especially engaging in social media, right? I'm mm. like, when I post on social media, it's like, uh, do I really want to do that? I don't know. And I overthink it. And I'm forcing myself to push through that feeling of not being enough. Mm. All right. This next one's super, super deep. What is your favorite Thanksgiving dish? Okay. I make mac and cheese because it's my favorite. <laughs> Like not everyone does that, but I'm like that's my favorite, so I want that on on Thanksgiving, every Thanksgiving. But a really like gourmet, you know, add some truffle in there, some panko crust. See, I'm not convincing you yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's I, I I want I want the viewers to hear. So like, what is your what is Maddie's mac and cheese? It's it's that it like I said I like the truffle flavor you know and and all that all that good stuff <laughs> gourmet that's great okay okay what life lesson did you learn the hard way mm. well dating the wrong people that's <laughs> <laughs> like you know it's good. I had to learn to date a narcissist in there, you know, oh, so geez. that is, <laughs> no, I won't name names, but, uh, yeah, sometimes you just gotta go for it. Yeah, man, this was, this was awesome. Thank you. So Thank you good. again. Um, where can people find you? What do you have going next? 
let the people know. Yeah, definitely Instagram. I'm working on some resources in a book right now, actually, but that's not out yet. So Instagram is a great place. Exclusive. Wait, are you writing a book? I am. Yes. You guys heard it here first on Authentically Us. (laughs) Go pre-order it. (laughs) Merging the two worlds of mental health and the church and going to take a shot at it. Yes, oh, I love it. That's Let's so go. Hey, we tell everybody who jumps on, you're now part of our metaverse. So um, whenever we have another podcast, we'll always bring you back on. When your book releases, Come on. Oh, we'll, yeah. bring, we'll bring yes. you back on and we'll we'll talk about it as well. So, Maddie, thank you again for being authentically us. Until next time, be authentic in everything that you do. See ya. Bye. man tony i wish people could see the excitement we had for this one because it was like the epitome of authentically us you know and it's what we do right and i first of all i just love maddie anyway as a person and just to hear what she's doing and how she is just so even like watching her obviously you guys are listening but watching her you can see how sensitive she is and how attentive she is to conversation to people and i've seen her in action you know at at church and stuff too so yeah i think people might experience healing just through this this podcast i don't know yeah i she has such a gentle or about her and you know like just her voice and her posture made me want to lean in and so I'm just hoping for our listeners that they feel the same yeah another one we haven't missed just to be honest with you guys we haven't missed cause our guests are fire are fire but y'all know what time it is it's time for the friendship quiz and i've been doing good to be honest i'm confident tony i have a question for you today though let's go um and my question i don't know if you're going to have an answer to we'll see well i had two questions i think i i I lost one of them regardless i promise you my friend <laughs> okay, um question is What is my favorite type of Jordan shoe? What number? I'll do that. What number? First of all, I have to know shoes. You're a sneakerhead. I am not. So I'll 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 I'll, I'll I'll break it down. Great. Thank you. One through 11. What is my favorite Jordan shoe? Five. I do like the Jordan fives, but ah. it's, it's one. Jordan. Or it's one. It's one. That was a stupid question. You want me to ask you another one? No. I have another one, too. I have All two. All right. Go ahead. Just go All ahead. Right. 
because I have headphones on right now, you can't see. Um, do I have both my ears pierced? True or false? False. You only have one. Okay. Good job. Well, I knew that before you said true or false. So, <laughs> what's up? I am a good friend. <laughs> oh, guys. Hey, thank you again for tuning in. As you know, we are now with MSW Media. So, check us out. We are on the network, guys. We're on the network. So, first of all, shout outs to them. And keep tuning in because we have a lot of things coming up. But until next time, be authentic in everything that you do. Peace out. Deuces.